Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Today, we are talking about something very normal, but that we often try to avoid. We are going to talk about conflict and how this very normal part of our human nature can be a positive force for ourselves personally and in business. And you're in for a real treat on this one because I have a brilliant guest to help me to explore this topic, Raj Shroff. Welcome to the show, Raj. Thanks, Joe. Great to be here. All right. So let's start with Raj. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, a husband and a father of two boys, nine and 12. I love to travel and I mean, I'm a runner and a reader and just kind of a student of life. And professionally, I founded a company called Pine Strategy and Design about five years ago. And we work with retail and CPG on the now, next and future of human experience. So we're, we're a consulting firm doing human-centered design and, you know, sort of management slash type of consulting for, for global companies. Amazing. And I love that you started with a little bit about you personally as a student of life. Yeah. So what's your favorite way of learning? I mean, I, I like to go out and about and do as much as I can traveling, meeting different kinds of people, reading, listening to podcasts, listening to music. And, um, but I think the most I do is when I learn, when I travel and I always try to talk to people on the road who I'm, you know, who I see, whether it's someone, you know, selling me tea on the streets of India or uh, an Uber driver, a DD driver in China, just trying to get a sense of, you know, who they are and, and how they think and how they view the world. Mm, and this is like a slight deviation from this topic, but I'm really curious. So what's the place that you've been to that you've learned the most from? Golly, that's a, that is a great question. I think I spent so much time in India. That's probably where I've learned the most about myself because seeing, you know, being in Mumbai and going through that and seeing, you know, I went for a run at like five in the morning earlier this year and I ran down into the city and I saw families sleeping on the sidewalk and little kids, my, my youngest son's age, sleeping on a blanket. And during those times, I just reflect on, you know, what I have and what they don't have and what I could do better for the world. And I think that those, those moments are when I, I learned the most is one of those moments of reflection and seeing the extremes. Yeah. And what life is really like for yeah. some people, right? Yeah. And, you know, and when you see the people, they're smiling and, and laughing and they're, you know, they seem to, to be happy with what they, with what little they have. And I think we, you know, we oftentimes fill a gap of expectation or we want more when we should probably just be, you know, pretty content with the things we have and start with that. Exactly. Do, do what you can with what you have. So that's a, a really great entry point into the topic that we're going to talk about is turning a negative into a positive, but also venturing into some uncomfortable places. And actually Raj and I were talking before this and we thought it would be worthwhile to maybe explain why we have, because Raj and I have, you know, worked together and have had a relationship for a few years now with our associated companies. But, you know, conflict might seem like a strange one for us to bring up to talk about on this show, but there's a very good reason why we chose it. So, gosh. yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. And it is funny, you know, so I've got a, a colleague and he and I, 
you know, we would tend to, to bait things a lot. And I think that you might've been a part of one of those, or we just talked about that with you and the benefits of that benefits of having those partnerships where you can both, you know, have a certain level of commitment to a topic and want to, you know, get to a good place and, and you're okay with debate and you're okay with some constructive conflict. And then you, you gave me this awesome quote, which I then proceeded to print and put on our office. When two persons never disagree, one of them is unnecessary, which I think was a Wrigley Jr. quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sort of my mind was blown after hearing that quote because I'd never come across it. And that really is our philosophy. And so that's how we got to this topic. And then I think we just you know, went back and forth a little bit on, on these ideas of what that constructive conflict can do you know, what, what value it can bring to an organization, to people, to teams. Yeah. And I found it so refreshing hearing that, that you and your business partner, John, that you, you have this openness to be able to have disagreement and debate, knowing that it's going to lead to an even better outcome versus, you know, I think a lot of co-founders or owners of companies, you see them as being like one sort of a very aligned, very consistent view but I like that you you actually use that to say, well, you've got different perspectives, you have different experience, and you're not afraid to really break an idea apart to rebuild it into something better. That's a great, yeah, totally. Exactly what you said, right? Break it apart, build it into something better. Yeah, love that. So how did that happen, like that you're at this point now? Was it gradual? Was it intentional? I think from a philosophy standpoint, I don't think we have any apathy in our team. So we're always trying, trying to get better and, and do excellent work for, for anything we do. And so when we have that shared drive, that inner fire, we're always trying to find that spot where it clicks. And to get to that spot is very difficult in our world. And so I think potentially just, you know, our individual experiences among our team, we each have that drive and that fire. And we have this trust and synergy. So we maybe we just are the types of people who, you know, are motivated enough and care enough, first of all, about our work to give a damn so much. And then maybe it's our personality types where we just all want to fight and get through this. That train of thought sparked something else for me, which is, you know, when people say, it's okay that you're upset because it means that you care. So <laughs> The fact that you you care and that your emotions are sparked as a result of your passion or your dedication towards something, thinking of that as a positive thing and then looking at apathy, not as a negative thing, but definitely as something that's not really adding a lot of value. I really like that idea. So is that generally your philosophy in life is that you sort of funnel your energy where your emotions take you and where you're like really engaged with what you're doing? Yeah, I think so. I feel like a couple of us, and, and probably me in particular, and, and maybe John, if, of all the people on the team, I feel like we always think things can be better. And so we're always striving for this carrot that maybe can never be reached. And I tend to get you know, very wrapped up in the work I do and, and really love it and enjoy it and love problem solving. And so I do let my energies go into that space. And I'm okay being wrong. I'm okay deconstructing something if it's moving us into the right direction, or at least what I think is the right direction, or the team collectively thinks is the right direction. Mm. I'm sure it's really refreshing as well, setting that kind of approach from the top. 
so that other people in your team who are maybe more junior or just starting out, they they know that it's it's also okay for them to be wrong every once in a while or to change their minds. Absolutely. And and I think our our culture is we want people that have a perspective. You know, I mean, I think it's wonderful to sit in a room and listen. And I believe listening is the key and understanding before wanting to be understood. So not just expressing a perspective that's uninformed. And I want people that have a strong point of view around me. I don't like yes people. We don't like yes people at our company. We want people that are experienced and confident and strong and can say, this is what we think and we can defend it or back it up. But we also don't want, you know, we want some flexibility. So we're all wrong sometimes. And I think that's an important thing to have at the top and and to try to pass on to teams, you know, even if they leave the company or, you know, just passing through. Not, not having yes people in your organization and encouraging them to be really confident and vocal about what they're thinking and feeling and their ideas. Generally, that's that's associated with someone who is a little bit rash or like blunt around the edges, blunt around the edges, a little bit too blunt or potentially disagreeable. So how do you frame that in the organization in a way that allows people to be constructive, but also confident? You're so insightful. I mean, it's, I think it's tough. Like you're totally right. You know, there's, there's a fine line there between, you know, you could easily look at me and call me and say, gosh, he's, he's complaining about these things. He wants me to be better. He's fighting for them. Or you could say someone's, you know, really trying to make a difference. I think, I've been around those people and maybe I've been one of those people to some others, you know, it's all perspective of um, that edge, right? Between being disagreeable. And I think even within our team, some of us could be accused of that at some point of being on the edge of that being disagreeable, but we all pull each other back to the spot and we all know it's not personal. So I think it's just one, you have to probably like the person to care enough about them to tell them hey, you're kind of going over the edge here. Like we're not trying to be disagreeable for disagreeable sake. We're trying to be constructive and we think something can be better. We're trying to fill that gap. And I think that's the shared thing is if we all as a team think something can be done better, thought through differently, and there's a gap, we'll try to fill it. So it's always one of passion and desire to be better, not to be worse, not to be you know, jaded. Although sometimes if you're in an environment where things constantly talked about but nothing changes then you probably tend to be jaded so there's a i think there's a fine line and and if i were to write a manual on it i think you'd need some training i don't think someone could read it and know exactly what that temperament is i think they'd need to see it and uh, and work through it and find their their balance or the right place and believe it too right going back to that jaded point so you've you've been in this uh gig for a while you mentioned before it was like 20 years consulting yeah. And then how long has Pine been in play? Five and a half years. Five and a half. Ooh, yeah. congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So obviously during that time and during your time doing like doing what you do, you would be quite consistent in, in your approach. So you would bring that into the culture that you've got in Pine. But alongside just building that culture, do you also have like guidelines or parameters for when you're, for example, brainstorming as a team to be able to create that space for disagreement? You know, I think we've, we're sort of a pack of people who've run together for a long time and, and have good synergy. And so we, we all 
know each other. For new people, you know, we're actually, you know, pulling in a few new people right now. And I think it's one, they'll see that and they'll feel that. And I'll state that at the beginning, you know, here's what we'd like from you. But you get a sense of who they are before that. You know, we will refer to these people. They've worked with, you know, sort of it's like two degrees of separation. So they're already pre-qualified in that sense. Someone who walks off the street cold isn't usually someone we're working with. It's usually someone that we, you know, we're two or three degrees away from and they've been vetted or vouched for by somebody whom we respect and know. And so, but yeah, I mean, I certainly, we try to set that tone and, and I think there's probably times if they don't know our team and they see some vigorous debate, they might be like a little bit uncomfortable potentially, mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. they realize that, you know, we're just a caring group of people and we're not out for each other in that sense. It's all good. You know, it's like, it's like a family argument. You're still family at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, just a good debate. Yeah. God, I love a good Probably debate. Probably all inner, inner lawyers and in all of us. <laughs> right. Well, and, and with lawyers, you have, you know, obviously someone who wins the case and someone who loses. <laughs> right. um, and then you have, you know, traditionally good ideas and bad ideas. So how do you avoid falling into those traps where you're making like a definitive view of someone's contribution as being either good or bad? You know, I mean, I think we, we don't have the luxury of, we've got pretty, you know, for as consultants, we're mostly working on projects and those projects have constraints and they have goals and we have timelines. So ultimately we have to, we have to make a call when, when the decision is right as a, as a team, or if I have to make the call, I just make the call based on my experience. And then, you know, someone can say they disagree and that's fine, you know, and we can note that and try to be as democratic as possible. But at the same time, we have to make decisions and move forward. So I don't think, you know, depending on who it is, if someone's got a bad idea, we might say like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and I'll be the first one to say like, if I might blurt something out, I want someone to look at me and be like, Raj, you're an idiot. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. And I'd be like, oh, good. We've got some truth in here. Like how refreshing, mm. right? So I have no problem with that. But then to give that to someone else, you have to be careful because you don't know who that person is. You don't, you know, if you don't, if you don't know who they are, so you try to be constructive about it. I'm not going to say that's a stupid idea to someone who's on the team. Now, there's a few people I work with who I would say that's a stupid idea. And here's why. But I think that you can just hey, what about this? What about that? So you can kind of coach them into some other ways of thinking and trying to see a different perspective. And the same goes for me. So I don't think we peg anyone as we're in any ideas. That's a bad idea. It's more, it's a building block towards something better if it doesn't feel right for the team at the time. Yeah. Nice. I like that. And I like, you know, that you hit on the point of truth because all of this, you know, the ability to have constructive forums and that openness really is about get, getting to the heart of whatever it is that you're trying to uncover or, you know, having the, the ability to be very honest with how you think or how you perceive or, or, you know, calling out a bad idea when you see it. So how do you balance being empathetic and careful with being honest and truthful? It's empathetic to be honest. I mean, I think to me, like, you know, I care about all the people I work with. I care about my clients. I have no ill will. So I care. And so to me, being honest is being empathetic. I mean, it's not like I'm saying, you know, 
something derogatory to them. It's like going back to we have a shared goal and we're working towards something that we think is constructive and we think is better. We trust each other and we care, then why wouldn't we be honest? So I think then it becomes protecting the people that are honest and making sure that honest is constructive, that honesty is constructive. And I'd rather, at least we would rather have people say it to our face than to go off and say it, you know, in a closed door behind right. our back, right? So it's right. like, you know, they can be kind to your face and then they go and they're, they use their candor later on. Well, that seems inefficient to me. It's like, we're all adults, let's just put that on the table. And, and some people aren't comfortable with that. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Some personality types don't like that and they've got a channel to express that. And if they don't like working like that, you know, they would let us know and we'd be totally open to it. And we would change our way if, you know, that threatened their contribution or made them afraid. So we, we do still try to create that safe space, but we want a safe space where this isn't personal, right? We're all working to try to build something great and we care about each other and, you know, let's communicate in an open, honest way and be transparent. And then we'll figure out a path forward. If it doesn't work, then then maybe you're not the right fit. I mean, that's the other piece too. It's like none of us be, are beholden to this. We're uh, we can move and flow as we as we desire. I think also a part of um, what you were mentioning before, where people are afraid to say something in that forum, and then they go and say it in closed doors. I had that exact situation last week, and I said to the person, "Ah, oh, why didn't you just say this in the room?" And it was like a, "This isn't working." behind closed doors and then to the very senior leader in the room, it was a, oh yeah, no, this is great. Like we're really optimizing this tool. I'm like, well, like that is not helping anybody, but it came from a place of fear. And the, I guess maybe in part because of the hierarchical nature of a lot of organizations that depending on the person that they're giving this feedback to, they feel scared of the repercussions. Like the, the fact that I'm, I'm agreeing with you shows that I'm capable. Like no matter what the challenge is, like, yes, it's all working fine. And that's actually, again, not very helpful. And I've seen it in grown adults in, in making decisions that like blow my mind because they were afraid <laughs> of a corporate hierarchy or some, mm. you know, something. And I think the other thing that gets in the way is ego. I don't mind saying I don't understand. I'll be the first person in a room you know, we have this thing called the head nodders and you, you could be in a room, you've probably been in it, 12 people in a room, someone says, go do something, everyone nods their head. And then you leave the conference room and people are like, what, you know, either I didn't agree with that or what does that mean? I don't understand <laughs> it. I mean, I was in, in enough of those meetings early in my career where I was like, I can't do that anymore. So I don't mind looking dumb to get clarity. And, but I think the, the fear and the ego thing is huge in corporate, global corporate. And you know, I think for me as a dad, it's like I'm teaching my kids to be respectful, but not to be afraid. And it makes me think of this Steve Jobs. I don't know if he really said it, but this idea that all of these things were constructed by one person or group of humans. And we live by these rules and regulations and we never question any of them because we <laughs> think they were predated in some tablet in time. And the reality is, is like, no, if you have a problem with something, tell someone or be brave, stand up for the underdog, stand up for the person who's being wronged. Don't be scared. Don't live your life in fear and, and ego. And I think that, that then ends up causing these conflicts. You know, a lot of these conflicts are caused by that. 
or that immaturity, that lack of self-awareness. I mean, I think all those things are people struggle with. And uh, but if you can break through those and just let it go a little bit and be okay being wrong, be okay being uncertain, being okay in that discomfort, then I think you can come to a better place. Oh, I love that so much. And I think there's a difference between being respectful and being acceptable. So what behaviors are acceptable versus what are respectful. And I like how you said, let's not, you know, let's not just accept that things are the way that they are and you have to behave a certain way. Who's to say that you can't behave a different way? I want to go back to something that you said before, because as you were talking, I was nodding my head and you said (laughs) these head nodders like, okay, catching myself. Um, But it made me think about vulnerability through actions. So obviously you can demonstrate vulnerability, particularly as a leader, through the language that you use, the words that you use, and what you specify to your team as being acceptable, respectful or not. The body language is a really interesting one too. And I feel like, you know, if you're presenting to somebody and we've all had this situation, you're presenting or you're, you're speaking to somebody and they cross their arms or they look away or they kind of like squirm in their face, you automatically read it as being, you know, a negative reaction to you. So do you also think about the nonverbal cues of vulnerability? I totally do. I think... I'm super paranoid that I have my, my like dormant face is this one of like anger, but I, and I, I forget like a long time ago, I said, I'm, my face may look like anger, but if you, uh, but in my head, it's like a, like a carnival, right? I mean, everything's, I'm sort of laughing and, and thinking of different things and not, not as serious as I look. And especially in this zoom world, you know, before we would do a conference call, if you weren't with someone in person, I'd much prefer to be in person. I like people. I like energy and I really enjoy, you know, being face to face and live with people. But if we were presenting on a conference call, you wouldn't see those things. You may be able to hear it in a voice. Now in the last two and a half years, everything's been video. So I'm really conscious of my facial expressions. I try to show a smile to reflect how I'm feeling. Whereas normally I would just have this like resting, you know, I don't know, dormant face that you may think looks <laughs> like I'm not in a good mood. So I'm especially conscious of that. And then arms crossing and all that. I mean, I think head nodding, repeating what people say, staying focused, you know, being off your phone when they're talking to you. I think those are things that communicate care. And I think I'm conscious of it, but obviously your subconscious takes over and you just sort of lose control of that. So I'm sure there's times when I'm squinting and looking and, you know, someone looks at me and goes, what's he thinking or is he mad? But I tend to then, you know, I mean, if, if they know me, they, they know kind of what I'm thinking. And if it's someone new, I'm just trying to, to show positive in my face of that, not trying to visually show, you know, positive or neutral, right? Not trying to show negative. Mm. And because you're trying to f- create or foster that kind of space for people to be able to voice their ideas, feeling like they're not being judged or shut down, do you ever have to call other people out on either the words that they use or their body language? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, maybe there've been times in, you know, when I worked for bigger companies where they might disagree with everything I'm saying on this call. Like I wasn't like that, right? I didn't, I didn't show, I, maybe I showed or looked ways that that weren't showing that. I think now, probably not really needing to say that to anybody. You know, I don't think we've found ourselves in those situations. I think it's more making sure we're all listening 
and not worrying about the facial expressions, but are we listening to what is being said? Are right. we understanding what's being said? Are we processing what's being said? That's tough. Mm. Well, especially now, like you said, like virtual calls and meetings, uh, you can actually see when people are looking at themselves when you're speaking to them. So you know that they're not like fully active in the conversation yeah. because it's very distracting looking at yourself sure. all day. I think awareness is really important. So I'm really curious then when you said that you do, you know, you teach freshmen and you talk to young people. Uh, are there any um, people that have come to you who seek advice about how to manage conflict or maybe even how to avoid conflict? Well, the, the class I teach of freshmen is all interdisciplinary designers working together on a group in group projects. So it's like ripe for conflict. Mm. And so I don't think anyone has come to me and said, I mean, there have been instances where they've come and said, this person isn't doing their fair share. And we look for them to resolve it. And one of the things that we do, and I, I teach with another faculty member, and uh, we basically have a brief and the students write down their role and responsibility and their expectations for themselves. And then that sheet is circulated among the team and it's usually five or six students. So everyone knows what they're supposed to do. They know what the goal is, they know what the timeline is, and they know what their role and their responsibility is and what's expected of them. And that's, then that's put out in the open. And then they can call out people who aren't delivering on that. And I think some are better at others than calling it out. You always have those people that are on a team more, I don't know, extroverted or stronger or more reckless or whatever. And they're the ones totally fine calling them out and saying, you didn't do this work. And you have others who let it fester and it's like in there, but they don't really talk about it. And we hope that with five or six people, the truth comes out and then they'll come back to us and say, this is what happened. This person didn't contribute. And then we can go back to that person and, you know, kind of get their point of view. But no one's come directly and said, how do we avoid conflict? I just teach and we, we teach hopefully in ways that are constructive and kind of go back to what are you trying to do? Why are you here? What's your role? So just sticking to the facts in that sense and, and trying to get them to be clear about expectations. Mm -hmm. I think if you can manage and align on expectations, a lot of those conflicts don't happen or they can be more easily resolved. But if you don't, if you're all going in a different direction and no one's willing to commit, then that's when those problems arise. So we're, we try to create that transparency by having that sheet of paper and, and asking, asking for that clarification. And, we ha and we, my goal is to you know, impart the 15, 20 years of knowledge that I have on these people who are all gonna go into these creative fields, which are very subjective and very tough. It's not like one plus one is two. And you're in a world of complete ambiguity all the time. It's <laughs> kind of mind boggling. And you know, if you don't love it, it's, it can probably drive someone totally nuts. So you have, to, you have to figure out ways to do that. And then within your team and a company, you know, you have a role and responsibility, maybe because the, the lifespan's longer, it's hard to vet out those people that are not playing their role. But for students, that's how we address it. You know, you mentioned it before, removing the kind of personal aspect of it. So it's not about you, it's about the situation. So let's set clear expectations of what the situation requires and make it about that so it removes some of the emotion from it. And it's interesting to your point about how, you know, we, you, you in particular are dealing with a lot of ambiguity, but in the world, we're dealing with a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty. And it's interesting thinking about, you know, how do you 
turn, like, how do you leverage that? How do you turn that conflict into something that gets you to a better place versus feeling like, oh, I shouldn't feel conflicted about this. I should be able to just like work it out and plant myself in one camp or another, but actually sitting a little bit in that space in between, that's a little bit less comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is where, that's where I live in that space in between. And, um, you know, it's a tough space, but I mean, I don't, I don't ever mind. I mean, I think it's as long, going back to, it's not, you know, if you try not to make it personal, you have some clear vision for what's the goal or what's the end of this thing. Right. I mean, you're not just having conflict for conflict's sake. It's like, we're going to build this widget. What do we need to do to build this widget? We need to work toward building this widget. We're going to build this presentation, do this design. What do we need to build toward this? And how can we leverage our strengths as a team to get there? We're going to have disagreements on the way and that's okay. Because going back to when two persons never disagree, one of them is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So it's a great quote. <laughs> I think it's, it's really a great quote. It's like you can, you know, I mean, I, and there's probably people that have the propensity to live in the gray. I think a lot of, you know, I've got friends from nomadic types who, who are totally on the fringes and, you know, and then I've got like the most black and white accounting finance people that are just like one plus one is two and, and that's it. I'm sure each lives in its own camp of comfort and I'm, you know, probably somewhere in between and it's tough. Sometimes I wish it was just one plus one is two. And sometimes I wish I could just jump on a, like we were talking about, about Yellowstone, jump on a horse and go riding (laughs) out into a field with, with dogs. And, and that would be it. Mm. But living in this middle part is, uh, as long as you're working towards something productive, I think it's totally fine. Right. And as long as you're not in that middle place for too long, right? Because you could drive yourself a little bit batty staying in there for too long. So yeah. as long as you come up for air every once in a while. Yeah, like and big, I think we toggle between the two, right? I think mm-hmm. we've got times when we're, because we're at the end of the day for, on a professional standpoint, we're trying to help a business. So we're not, you know, everything we do comes back to how is that helping a business perform better, more efficiently, more constructively. And so we are always coming back to that place. So you're to your point, we're not in the gray for, you know, very long. We're always trying to toggle back and forth, stretching it, bringing it back, hopefully better, stretching it, bringing it back, hopefully better. And I think that, you know, that's fun. And that, I mean, that probably attracts people to this field, to the creative consulting side of the world. Yeah, definitely. And a lot more of that can be done in the less creative fields that we operate in in business. Absolutely. So I have a question for you then. You mentioned, you know, that you are in this like really unique field and you're, you're, you know, you're on the consultancy side. So you're servicing clients who are (laughs) like, they're anything like me. They can be quite difficult. Um, I joke, I joke. Um, (laughs) I I love the agencies I work with. Um, But you said it's, it's tough, right? So have you had a situation where you've had to have a disagreement with a client? I mean, over the years, I have for sure had, you know, some pretty interesting disagreements. And I don't, you know, I mean, I think one of the best ones I had was uh, probably back in 2007. I worked for a, it was a global role working for the global client. And that counterpart of the client was responsible for, it was a huge, huge pressure in, in his job. And we would spend hours in his home office overseas going through all these details of the projects that I was running, but we never made it personal. And actually last time in India, we got together. So we, we became friends because we 
stuck to the professional aspect of it. Our companies disagreed about a lot of things, but we weren't our companies. We were representatives of the company. And so we actually forged a really awesome friendship, you know, that, that goes, you know, what, how long has that been? It's been quite a long time. And if you had told me during that time that he and I would get together for lunch, you know, in 15 <laughs> years, I'd be like, that's, that's nuts. You got to be kidding me. And do you have to do a lot of explaining to people that, you know, that alignment and consensus is not always the right starting point? It might be the end point once you get into that more uncomfortable gray space. 99% have been through the creative process. So they, they understand that ambiguity. If we have too much of explaining, I think that tends to be a red flag. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of how we work through it. And then if we just try to keep it to what's the shared objective. And I think the more we do in the beginning is better. When we really try to qualify, ask, making sure our clients are asking the right question and try to tease out any of that ambiguity. And then it takes two to tango. So you're really only good as your client. Are they ethical? Are they astute? Are they experienced? Are they willing to say they're wrong when they're wrong? I mean, I think that's the other piece is we're, we're really only good as our client. So um, we try to you know, find those great clients and work through that if there's any conflict. Yeah, definitely. It's a two-way straight. Being open and approaching things with the right intentions, but also with, a, I think, the intention of learning. And you mentioned at the very start that you're a student of life. So that leads me beautifully back to the end with my last question for you of what your go-to is when you're trying to look outside, gain fresh perspective and look at something that's familiar to you. I knew you were going to ask this at some point, or I thought I did. So I had yes. to think about it. <laughs> I mean, I think my whole my whole life has been looking outside of the familiar, at least for me. It's all relative, right? Mm -hmm. I've got a friend who was a, raised on a goat farm. He probably thinks I'm the most you know normal person you've ever met. So if he listens to this, I hope he gets a laugh out of it. But um, I think just my mentality is I'm you know half Indian, half American. So my dad came here, and my mom's American. Spent a lot of my was born in the U.S., but spent a lot of my childhood and my life in India. Learned two languages from birth traveled a ton. I'm left-handed. I've got, like I said before, nomadic to like straight-laced people. And I read a ton. And so I just try to always find ways to to be different and look outside and even pushing my own bound, like basically never being comfortable with what I think for too long. Knowing that there's so much I don't know. There's so much information out there. There's so many ways of thinking. And I think that's that's how I do it. And once in a while, you get those moments where you're something just, you know, you read it or you heard it. It's like, oh, my God, I never thought that way. Like, I never even thought about this idea. And when those happen, that's super awesome. But for me, looking outside the familiar is just trying to absorb as much content as I can. Reading, listening, having conversations and uh, traveling, meeting new people, trying new food. And, you know, and really going like just walking into some place and looking around and seeing what's there, trying a new food on a menu, like all because I think to me, it's like as especially as a consultant who's the, the better and the more broad inputs I have, the better outputs I create. Those are ways that I, I look outside the familiar. Yeah, I love that diversity of inputs. And, you know, certainly, Raj, you are proof that you can have discomfort and confidence live together. So Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us and, Thanks, and, and how you approach this and for being part of this conversation. 
Yeah, it was so fun. Thanks so much for having me. Always love speaking with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share the show, and I will see you next time. Until then, keep looking outside.